0: listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. If you are a regular listener to our podcast, you will know that we have talked to people who have used cannabis to get off heroin, methadone, and of course the long list of pharmaceutical medications that many people are prescribed. Today we're talking to a young man who was put on drugs for his attention deficit disorder before he was even a teenager and through the course of his life started taking a lot of nasty hard drugs. And joining us from Philadelphia is Richie Fusco. Richie, thanks very much for doing us. Thanks for having me on. Now, how old were you when you were diagnosed with attention deficit disorder?
1: I was 6. It was 1986.
0: 6 yep. 6 years old.
1: What drugs six did they, year, What drugs did they talk. put you on? All right, so they started me, I believe it was Ritalin, and then they moved me to um, they put me on something called Siler, which was basically like uh, some type of other uh, stimulant medication or whatever they had at the time. And then they put me on Clonidine at night, which is basically blood pressure medication. And I, I'm just assuming that they put me on it to calm me down from all the speed they had me jacked up on. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not very smart to put a six-year-old on on drugs. <laughs> i'm yeah. laughing but it's not really funny
0: but, no yeah. i mean it to me when i first read this when you sent us a little bio of yourself i thought six years old and being put on ritalin and all these other drugs i mean it's just absolutely crazy yeah
1: and, and i mean it was the 80s too it's it's kind of more or less like uh you know i i guess they didn't know what the you know but like me and my conspiratorial conspiratorial nature sorry I believe that they did know what they were doing. I just think that you shouldn't put a a child on drugs. I don't see any reason a six-year-old should be on any type of stimulant or an amphetamine. On top of it, attention deficit disorder usually comes with hyperactivity. Sometimes they call it ADHD. I was kind of a hyper kid, but if you think about the logic in that, you're giving speed to an already hyperactive child. Yeah. So it doesn't really. To me, it just seems completely nuts. I would never give it to my son.
0: You know. Yeah. So, when did you? When did you start using cannabis? I started
1: using cannabis at sixteen. Now, see, it more or less looked like you know, like it was the gateway drug type thing. I mean, I guess I did a lot of other drugs too, but uh, I started. I started with. With cannabis, like before, I had drank alcohol and all that stuff.
0: What were some of the some of the other so called syndromes or disorders or diseases that you were diagnosed over the course of (laughs) your life?
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I was diagnosed with ADD at six. I'm sure at sometime around twelve, they diagnosed me with some form of depression. And I attribute it directly to the use of the drugs they were giving me because I remember at, at some point not wanting to take them because every time I took them, I'd just start crying. And I didn't know what where these feelings came from. So basically from all the stuff that they were giving me and then eventually in my later years when the drugs that I was taking myself – I think that the u- the use and the mental states that arise out of my drug use and you know trying to deal with life and uh, you know I was kind of a scared child like I remember being scared I don't know what of but uh, you know so I was diagnosed with manic depression which is I guess bipolar I was diagnosed with anxiety I've been diagnosed with PTSD I've been diagnosed with you know, I haven't been diagnosed with like schizophrenia or anything like that, but I've been diagnosed with, uh, you know, major depression, anxiety, bi- bipolar, uh, ADD. That's probably most of them. And on top of that, I was given every type of pharmaceutical trying to control whatever symptom or disorder they were trying to tell me I had at the time, along with it would come another chemical.
2: Richie, can you recall some of the pharmaceuticals you were on and how many you were on oh, at the time?
1: Oh, Well, I was on lithium, and I'm allergic to sulfur drugs, so I instantly broke out into hives and rashes. So they took me off of lithium. I was on, like, Geodon. I've been on Seroquel. I've been on Remron, Adderall, uh, Ritalin, Clonidine, Intuniv, I'm trying to think of all the other ones. They gave me some other – they tried to give me some other weird form of Ritalin called, like, f- Focusin or something like that. I don't know. It was some weird one. I think Focusin might be what Bart took in The Simpsons, so <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, brain, I remember seeing an episode and I remember something like Focusin', but I swear they came up with this new form of Ritalin that sounds like Focusin'. I don't know the name brand or whatever. So they tried to put me on that. Um, I've been on a lot of drugs, probably more than I can remember. Like, cause I don't remember all the names. I've been on Wellbutrin, uh, probably Paxol, Prozac. You know, this is all in my. You know, I'm I'm, I'm thir- almost thirty seven now, so this was all in the nineties. This is probably the early to late nineties, and maybe a little bit after two thousand. Because at some point, I was like, I'm not gonna take this stuff anymore because it never does what they tell me it's going
0: to do good richie you you were taking all these drugs as a teenager all these these prescription drugs as a teenager you were a bit you were a bit of a science experiment yeah yeah. (laughs) for for all these crazy disorders i mean attention deficit disorder what kid what six year old kid doesn't have attention (laughs) deficit disorder i mean exactly right at six years old you're curious Of of course, you're a
1: child. I mean, why? Why doesn't? Why? You know, don't get me wrong. I'm a parent now, and I know what it's like to be a parent, and it's not easy. You know, I have a very hyper four year old, but you know what? I try to remember. You know, you were like that once. Now, granted, you know, and, and I love my parents. I don't blame my parents. My parents did what they thought they should do. You know, yeah, it was absolutely. the 80s, you know, I don't, my mother gets upset when I talk about this sometimes because she, you know, she thinks that I blame her and, and I, I don't blame her. She did what she thought was best. You know what I mean? And, uh, it's, you know, it's not easy being a parent and, you know, you got this little kid running around, but you know, on the same sense, you can't drug a kid into the submission. It just doesn't work. No. You we're, know, we're, I tell my son no. And he, he just looks at me like, yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> so, so anyway Richie after all these pharmaceuticals when did you start getting on some of the harder drugs
1: it was about 1996 I, I think I tried to smoke pot when I was like 15 once I ended up with like seeds and stems didn't know what I was doing about 16 my girlfriend and me went to the mall one day and got like a dime bag or a nip bag of some swag weed from somewhere and smoked it that was the first time I ever smoked pot so in those first two years from 96 to like 98 I had experimented with like PCP LSD um some random you know pharmaceuticals probably like Vicodin and Percocet and all that and you know I was taking psychedelics and I didn't really start drinking until I was like 17 and I didn't, wasn't big of a drinker and then about i used heroin for my first time when i was 17 and i didn't really like it it made me kind of nauseous i did a tiny little bit i snorted it It was like the one of my old friends would had stopped by and they were doing heroin i was like let me get a little god knows why anybody would want to do heroin but i was just you know i guess i was curious let me get a little, and you know, it was a little tiny bit, and I did like half of it, it was a little tiny bit, but I could feel it, it made me real nauseous, every time I moved I felt like I was going to be sick, and I threw the rest away and I was like, I'll never do that again, you know, and uh, six months later, I ended up at that girl's house again and me and my friend were going to stay over that night and hang out with them at a party or smoke pot or whatever, and we ended up in the car in Kensington in North Philadelphia in the hood and with these two buying heroin and they never get the pot. They never got the pot that I thought I was going to smoke with them. So they come back and like an idiot kid, they're like, you want to try it again? And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm like, all right, you know, there's nothing else going on. I guess I'll do it again. I tried it before and they're like, do you want to shoot it? Cause I guess they had graduated and I was like, all right. Yeah, I'll try it. And, uh, you know, I remember doing it. And, you know, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was wonderful. And, uh, you know, I woke up looking for more and I couldn't get any more. And then that was it. You know, I felt bad about it. You know, I was always the type. I was a very honest kid, probably more than I should have been. And I told my mother, you know, because I felt bad, like I did something wrong. And I guess I kind of did. And she sent me to rehab. I was 18 years old. That was the first time I went to rehab. And uh, I left. I was like, this is a joke. You know what I mean? Like, they're trying to, you know, I've only done heroin one, you know, two times in my life. And they're trying to convince me, like, I'm a street junkie. You know what I mean? I wasn't ready. You know, I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, I left. And after that, like, after I left rehab was when I started using drugs every day well i started smoking cannabis first and foremost every day and on top. see i didn't you know cannabis at that point was you know just like you know uh, the brainwashing that they you know with the dare program and everything that they used to get people to think it's you know so i just saw it as like another Cool thing to do that you know I was defying whatever because you know
0: you saw it as more as a recreational drug. Yeah, than, yeah, than yeah. A, I saw it more a as medicine. a
1: recreational thing, and I didn't understand what how beautiful the thing actually was. Yeah. So you know, it is all in the way that you use something as well. I've found out after years of slamming my head into the wall. And that's when the everyday drug use started. And within a year, I started doing heroin again. Within a month, I started snorting it. And within a month, I had a needle on my arm. And then it just all went downhill from there. Within the next year, I was shooting cocaine. I was smoking crack. I'm from around Philadelphia. And the places you have to go to get this stuff around here... Let's just say they're not pretty places, and it's really not a place where you know an eighteen-year-old white kid should be wandering through at nine o'clock at night.
0: Yeah, I've seen some of those places, and they're uh, they're different. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, well, you know, Philadelphia has a um, you know, there's the, the opiate epidemic is is pretty bad here on, on account of we, we've always had some of the purest heroin on the east coast of the United States. There's, you know, we have an open air drug market where you can just literally walk down the street. I can raise three fingers, and they'll walk up with three bags, and I don't even need to say a word. They're shutting it down now because of how bad it's gotten all over the country. They're attempting to clean these areas up, but I don't think it's going to be easy. On top of it, the violence as well. Yeah, I've seen more. Sorry,
0: no, go ahead. You've seen more what?
1: I've seen more screwed up stuff than i care to talk about (laughs) those
0: two those two friends who took you to buy heroin do you know where they are now yeah
1: they're they're actually both still around they're both um not on heroin anymore i believe they might be on methadone but both of them are they have a child he's he's like a teenager now they actually did stop so they're doing pretty well
0: when did you turn the corner and decide, I don't want this life anymore?
1: That's the actual part of my story that actually has some substance, because all you can really say about my drug use is that I've done lots and lots of drugs. I've done drugs, people that, you know, that people haven't even heard of, research chemicals that they sell on the internet, benzodiazepines, you know, weird random stuff. But I, st- I started... Trying to stop in 2003, I was 23 years old, and um, I was tired of being a junkie. You know, like all I did was live to shoot a bag of dope. You know, like there was nothing else in my. Life. I couldn't hold a job. Um, my mother had kicked me out because I robbed her. You know, once again, what I did is I robbed her, and I felt so bad that I told her, and she kicked me out. And I don't blame her. I never blame my mother for anything she did back. That- like, I could, I know people that have done a lot worse to their parents. My mother at least protected herself. It was 2003. So, the original method for, you know, what is pushed on most of the addicts in, you know, I don't know if across the world, but at least in this country, is the 12-step program. So, I started that in 2003. And I was what they call the chronic relapser because i would i would always relapse i would stay sober for a while and i'd do the step work and try and be involved and i was in more recovery houses than i care to count
2: richie when you say you were sober for a while what what kind of time period are we talking about usually
1: so not not a while a while like you know i'd I'd get a couple months okay you know and then i i'd get high and then I'd go running back because I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like for me, my, you know, the 12-step program didn't work for me. I have come across lots of more people that it doesn't seem to work for. Because basically, and I don't want to jump the gun here, but basically what I've come to the conclusion, and this is just me, and this is just what I believe in. What I speculate to be going on is that addiction isn't really a disease because I don't feel like I have a disease. I don't feel sick. I don't feel like I'm a bad person. Like, I, you know, that, like, pretty much what happened was for a long time, what I would do is blame my actions on this disease instead of really taking responsibility. And what that did for me was keep leading me to mental, like I don't know how to explain it. Like mental areas where I would justify using again. Yeah, because uh, because
2: I have a disease. So you always yeah, had that. Yeah, to, yeah. What I hear you yeah, saying exactly. is you you always had that to fall back on.
1: Exactly. It's not exactly. my fault.
2: I have a disease.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And that and that
1: and it didn't work for me. It was it was terrible. Here I'll tell you about. It was two thousand eight. And uh, I'd like this girl, you know, and, and here's the other thing about addicts, you know, we'll use anything to to fill that void. So if you take the drugs away, you know, we'll use a relationship, uh, a female or, you know, anything, you know, that that makes you feel better. We'll try and fill that void. with. So I liked this girl and she liked my quote unquote sponsor at the time. And I was like all about her, yada, yada, yada. And, and she the day she told she told me. I think I'm in love with your sponsor, and yada, yada, yada. And I got, like, all upset, and I thought to myself, fuck, excuse my language.
0: No, no you, <laughs> uh, you can say that. <laughs>
1: okay. I was like, screw this. I'm like, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting on, you know, like, everything's dumb, you know. I rationalized it over a female, which I look back now, I'm like, dude, how retarded. That was stupid. And um, I went out and I used that day, and I hadn't used it in 13 months. I remember making the speedball that day, which is one in itself is a very very dangerous thing to do. I remember it was a lot. And I looked at the I looked at the syringe and I'm looking at it and I was like, dude, this might be the one. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, like that's a scary looking shot.
2: For for listeners yeah. and for the elderly like myself <laughs> what exactly is a speedball? I've heard of it.
1: Uh, a, a speedball is a mixture of cocaine and heroin.
2: Okay, thank you. Yeah.
1: And um and I looked at it and uh number one, shooting cocaine by itself, I don't recommend it to anybody. It's a terrifying thing. Most people I know do it once and they're like, "Oh my god, the Terrifying. I'm never doing that again. I wasn't that type of dude. I pushed myself to the brink of death. So I looked at this thing and I said, you know what, whatever. You know, I the life isn't going the way I want it. Screw it. If it takes me out, it takes me out. So I did that thing. And I remember uh, at one point opening my eyes and seeing people in white. And I had one thought and I was like, Oh god, I did it. And then I opened up my eyes again, and it was like four days later, and I had tubes in my nose, tubes going down my throat, and they were doing a, um arterial blood gas on me, which was basically sticking a needle down into my wrist, into my artery, to get arterial blood, and I was watching them do it, and it's not very, you know, it's usually painful, they had me so numbed up, and they, they finally took the tube out of my nose, and the tube out of my mouth, and First thing I said was, Why'd you bring me back? My mom was there. She got upset and started crying and walked out of the room. I've told this story a billion times. And the second thing I said was, Is my hair still green? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why, but that's what I said. That's how, I don't know, I guess weird at the time I was. The point is, as I don't know.
0: I'm sorry. I guess
1: I, the, I, 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 lost, I lost my train of thought with that one. Uh, I just I forgot what, what I what you originally yeah. asked me.
0: The point is you felt so I guess, so depressed that you, you took this you took, you took the speedball and you wanted to die. You didn't care whether you died.
1: Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, that's that's what it was. It, you know, and and it, it was sad because my life wasn't bad. I, at that point I was sober. For like 13, 14, almost 15 months, something like that. I was, no, I think it was like 13 months. And I was sober. I had a house. I had a job. You know, there was nothing wrong. Only, the only thing that was wrong was that this girl didn't want to want to be with me. So and I you, rationalized. And, and, but you know what? In the end, it was like, oh, well, I made that choice because I have this disease. And really, that was the turning point for me. That was when I really woke up to the fact of, what this "quote unquote" what program? Because that's what they're doing. They're programming you. They get you at your most vulnerable point, and you know it works for some people. But for me, it always became an excuse. I have this disease. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. And I kept using this excuse, you know. And, and you know, I, I used it until not up to not that long ago. I mean, and it 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 almost it almost destroyed me many times it was it was the leading cause of my relapses was because I could always go back and pretend I had this disease and and make it and it wasn't until you know that happened and I said, What type of thinking was like was that um this girl didn't like you, not that big of a deal, and you thought to yourself. Well, because what they tell you in the program is, you know, if you pick up, pick up and use, your only end is jails, institutions and death. That's how it's always going to end. And they're very adamant about that. And uh, and that's the first thing I thought when I went to go get high that day. I was like, well, you know, it's only going to end either me getting locked up again, um, ending up in rehab again or dying. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go flying to one of those ends because they're my only ends as fast as possible, which was why I didn't really care that much when I put that speedball on my arm. The point I was trying to get at is that this type of thinking wasn't working for me. I needed to start taking responsibility for you know, my actions instead of blaming them on something that I started to think someone just made up to fund the rehabs in this country.
0: Richie, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Richie how, did, how did cannabis enter into the picture to help you with your recovery?
1: Mm, okay, so it was probably it's about 2003. And in these recovery houses, now I've, I've never disliked cannabis at any point in my life. The only times that I didn't really use it until... You know, I went into the program in the beginning was when I was using hard drugs like heroin, cocaine, because I'm not spent all my money is going towards those drugs. So it was about 2003 and I was in a recovery house. And at the time, I don't recommend this to anybody either, but a lot of people do do this. Um, it was a lot less stronger at that at that point five six years ago. We were using synthetic cannabis, mm. the K two type stuff, yeah. which is now extremely dangerous. Don't recommend it no, to anybody. No. There's been at a couple all. of
2: young teenagers that have used it, yes. and that they're yeah. in, on life support and, or dead. Yes.
1: Yeah, yes.
2: yeah,
1: It you know it was a little bit stronger. So we would use that because didn't show up in the drug test or whatever, and cannabis has always made me, I don't mean to sound cliche, but it made me feel normal, I don't know if that's the right way to put it.
0: Well, I think it is the right, I think it is the right way to put it, uh, yeah, Richie, yeah, because yeah. what, what cannabis does, it creates homeostasis in the, in the body, which is a balance mm-hmm. of the system. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. probably one of the th- things that affected you being put on, uh, drugs for your ADD when you were only six years old was mm-hmm. that all these drugs that you were on, including the, the hard street drugs that you were on, your system was way out of balance. Oh, very. <laughs> and yes. what cannabis has done, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a doctor. How the hell do I know? But yes. it, it has brought your system back into balance, and I think that's yes. that's why you feel normal. Yes,
1: yes, yes. It, it definitely has. Now, I'm glad that you brought that up because you, you like you said, you've been helping me get to my points. Um, yes, and only has it, it has it only done that. Physically, it has helped mentally and spiritually. And the, the biggest component that, and, and the 12 steppers, the program people will always agree with me on this. And this is one thing that I took from there is that on some level, to recover from addiction requires um, some sense of spirituality. You know, and I'm not talking about religion or anything. You know, more at looking within yourself and trying to be honest with yourself. Cannabis has always made that very, very easy for me. I don't know if it does that for everybody, but it did that for me. For instance, I, I relapsed up until not too long ago, and it was they were very sporadic. But, you know, there was, I don't know, maybe there was just one thing, I don't know how to pinpoint it at this moment, that I felt like I had to change or I just had to get over. Some tiny, small thing that I was hanging on to, like feeling, I don't remember whether it was a feeling of wanting to be able to control the drug use, because that was always a factor. But, for instance, on these certain relapses, this had already come in, you know, this was already in my everyday cannabis use using it more medicinally for these things. I had relapsed a few times and I remember there, there have been a few times where I have literally sat down like before I went to go cop and smoked the joint and didn't go because something in me said like, it, it was like the cannabis showed me, it was like I said, uh, I might have said before, it it, it was like a voice of reason for me, because it's not just, for me, it doesn't just put me in, you know, balance me. Physically, which it does. It balances me emotionally and spiritually. Yeah, it has a a
0: spiritual dimension that helps you. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it helps people in various ways, various different ways. And I think one of the things, from listening to your story and listening to some of the bloody awful drugs that you've taken, and just the fact that you were going to use them again, you sat down, smoked a joint, And all of a sudden you didn't feel like doing it anymore tells me that what cannabis does, it not only helps you spiritually, but it helps you medicinally. It helps, of course. it helps put this homeostasis, this balance into your system that simply intuitively you tell yourself, you know, I don't need to go out and shoot heroin. I don't need to have crack or speedball or whatever the hell it is that, you, that you're taking, <laughs> right?
1: Of course. And speaking of that, I'm going to medicate myself again.
2: <laughs> no, no, right. yeah. no, well, that's you know, Richie, I think it speaks volumes too. Just, you know, in the time that I've known you, what is it, three or four years? I can, even with speaking to you today, notice a difference in you, but also mm-hmm. I think it speaks volumes that you're able to hold down a job and be attending school and raise a son. Yep. I mean, if yep. you if you were having issues with these hardcore drugs, you would not be doing this.
1: Oh, absolutely not. And on top of that, not to toot my own horn, I'm also a straight-A student. Good for you. So great right to show you I don't really hide. I don't see a point in hiding the fact that I'm, I am I like cannabis, that, you know, everybody calls me a pothead, a stoner, or whatever. I don't hide it. And in school, I had this dude that, after a while, he said, you know, Richie, he's like, you really proved me wrong. I said, what do you mean, Sam? <laughs> he said, he's like, oh, always thought potheads were just burnouts and didn't really have any ambition to do anything. He's like, you get better tests scores than I do. And I'm like, no, yeah, because well, we're not all... The stigma that people label us is not the truth.
2: Yeah, that's not all that propaganda that's out there. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Ian, I think when, when you first meet, had me on the show, you basically thought that... Cannabis was a bunch of, about a bunch of stoners, right? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I knew absolutely nothing about medicinal cannabis and I thought it was just people who wanted to sit around and smoke and get high, just like people who go out and get drunk all the time. Now I've, I've done a 180 and, uh, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I, mean, I, can he- I can hear, I can hear Richie's talking up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it's not too loud. Sorry. No, no, that's, uh, that, that's fine. Given the fact that you are in a relationship, you, you are a father and you have a, you have a son. Will you ever revert to what you did before and do drugs again?
1: Oh, well, I certainly hope not. You know, here's the thing. I've always said, oh, I'll never do it again, and I'll never do it I don't ever want to say that I won't, but I, but I do at the same time. Because, you know what, like, I've been faced um, since the last time I I've used anything, which was just a quick little, little thing, and not to downplay it. I could go on all types of stories about my relapses, too. But I, every time I have relapsed. I've always learned something because what it does is, you know, you become comfortable living a normal, regular life, not having to wake up sick not having, you know, whatever. And the contrast from just, uh, for instance, you know, the last few times, um, the last things that I was struggling with was, um, benzodiazepines, Xanax, Valium, things like that. And heroin. And, uh, the contrast from the one pill, from going, uh, you know, just being my regular self to taking that one pill, uh, is so. It's like black and white. So when you, when I, I'm usually able, you know, or I, I was. I'm not saying that I don't do it anymore, but I was always able to stop before it got out of hand, at least in the end. And what would happen is, <clears throat> I'd come, you know, I'd come back. Day would go by, the stuff would come out of my system, and then I'd smoke a joint. And, you know, that, you know how I said it was the voice of reason? Well, that kicks in like 10,000 times harder now. And I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll pretty much force my girlfriend to sit there and listen to me go on this rant for about 12 hours, processing what just happened. Why she's still with me, I don't know sometimes, but she is, and I, I love her. And, uh, And I learned something new because it's not always in vain. Uh, And I I learned something new. So will I do it again? I I don't think so because I've been faced with situations that would I I would have easily rationalized going back to using or using that day, and and was just like, all right, well, this is that moment where you always and I can you know am a lot more aware of myself and my thoughts,
0: yeah.
1: and I, I recognize what's happening, and I just deal with the feelings that I'm trying to run from.
0: Before we wrap this up, I want you mm-hmm. to tell the story of what cannabis has done for your father.
1: Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, for sure. I forget how, that's how me and Corey originally started talking, how we originally met. Because I had reached out to her. Because I guess I would saw her on a meme or something. And this was probably 2012 maybe. Something like that. 2011, 2012. And, you know, I was doing all my research on cannabis. A lot, you know, more more back then than that. Because I wasn't in school. And I came across like a meme with Corey. And, and her name was on it. And I think I looked her up. And I sent her a friend request. This was before she had two accounts and five billion friends (laughs) and uh and my father hadn't been diagnosed with cancer yet and you know so i was following her and her story and my father had gotten diagnosed with stage 3a lung cancer and this was right um as my son was right around the time he was being born or right after he was born i think yeah right right after he was born i had reached out to Corey. And we had a few conversations and um, decided to get my dad on the oil. And uh, he didn't even get to the whole protocol. I think he only got up to about somewhere to a quarter or to a half a gram a day. And in three months, his cancer was gone.
2: And he is still cancer-free, as you know. And
1: he is still cancer-free to this day. Yeah, that was pretty
2: amazing, Richie. I remember having those Mm -hmm. conversations. Yeah, yeah, he is still cancer-free.
1: He still uses cannabis. He's got stuff going on in his life, but he's a lot better than he was. I'll always be grateful to you for that. Because I had no clue what to do, and I didn't want him to do chemo. Well,
2: you're so welcome, Rich. I'm glad that we were able to help.
0: No, Richie, you've got a very interesting story. And uh, I think, you know, hearing about uh, your life now compared to your life previously, I think think you're well on the road to... uh, what, we should, what should we say? Normality, for the lack of, <laughs> lack of a better phrase. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Richie. It was great to talk no, to you. No
1: problem. It was great to talk to you guys,
0: too.
2: Thank you so much, Richie. No
0: problem. And we'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
2: Thanks for listening to today's show.